The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. 
I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. America cannot be saved. Don't set your hope on any political scheme or any political party to save America. The judgments of God are upon the people of this nation And we are going to see catastrophic destruction as it comes upon us now. I'm not going to get into the end time prophecies except to share them quickly with you. Because while America cannot be saved, you can yet today be saved. Now I'm fearful of saying that lest... You slide back into your sleep and say, Okay, Pastor, what do you have to say? Well, what I have to say is the final end day prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are coming about now. The United States wanting to place atomic missiles, nuclear missiles, on Finland's border with Russia. The Ukraine. Oh, they say Ukraine is winning. Ukraine is winning. That's some fantasy dream. They've lost their power. They've lost their water for most of the people in Kiev. No, Russia is winning and will crush the Ukraine. This was a war America did not need to fight. But the one world government that is arising, the beast power that is arising, is destroying America and is destroying other nations. They want to destroy all nationalism. They want a one world government, and they are going to have it for a short time. But let me just quickly review a couple of things. If you look with me in Daniel, the seventh chapter, Daniel, the seventh chapter, I'll begin reading with verse six. I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. You know that that was Greece. But now listen. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot Whatever was left, it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully, and I looked And thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven to understand. We're not going to go into all the meanings today of 
this prophecy of Daniel, but he is projecting a time in history when a great beast power will arise with ten horns. He's talking about a a multi-nation power that becomes one power. And it crushes and destroys. Well, we're watching that beast power arise today. And it may not have touched you except a little at the grocery store or the gas pump, but it's coming to America. And nothing will be the same. And America will be gone. Germany was a very sophisticated culture. They had great finances and manufacturing. But when everything collapsed because of the printing of money, the Weimar Republic, Hitler came forth as the dictator. Always when there is a total collapse of the finance and anarchy rules in a land, a dictator will step into that vacuum and begin to exercise great power and the people choose the dictator because they believe he will bring peace. Hitler did not bring peace to Germany. He brought utter destruction. Likewise, those who plan the destruction of America have deeply laid plans and roots that reach into the very heart of this nation. Anarchy is going to result. And with that anarchy, with that Mad Max, when people are starving to death, people are dying in the streets, crime, violence on every hand, then the dictator will step in. Revelation calls him the Antichrist. Revelation, the 13th chapter. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns. Each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud and blasphemous words and exercise his authority for three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. That's you. He was given power to take you over. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all inhabitants of the earth were worshiping the beast. And all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. And then in verse 11, I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. 
He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. Now, what I want to do in laying this out for you is not to go into why America is lost. God has withdrawn his hand of mercy from America and from its people. And America is doing a deep dive into utter wickedness. And there is no hope for America. You will see the utter destruction of all that you hoped America could become. Some false prophets are saying that America will regain its place of righteousness and God is going to use America to win the world. No, he's not. They're lying to you. We're not entering into a time of great prosperity. We're entering into a time of utter and total destruction of our constitution, our way of life affecting even our possibility of survival. And so I have warned on this broadcast numerous times, prepare, put aside food, put aside what is necessary to survive a long period of time of utter destruction and utter chaos in this nation. But now I want to bring you the good news. The good news is Jesus is on the throne. The plan of God and the plan of the devil are being worked out And they are being worked out through the lives of men and women, boys and girls. So my focus today is not going to be on what the devil is doing with his people. He has his people in the presidency, in the cabinet, in the courts. He has his people well lined up to utterly destroy this nation. We are watching as he does this. But God has another plan. For three and a half years, the beast power will have absolute and utter control and will demand that you take his mark, the mark of the beast. We will not do that. We will say no. But I want to talk with you about the transition that is necessary for you to make. Please understand, your normal American life is coming to a crashing end. And the decisions you make in the coming days and weeks, in the coming months, will determine whether you go to heaven or to hell. Now, I'm going to speak about things that some of you are going to have a difficult time with. 
but be patient with me, please. I have never done a totally deep dive on this subject. I have touched it, but I've never done a total deep dive. I'm going to do that today and this week. I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. My father joined the Adventist Church, but my grandfather was a Methodist. I have found great truth in the teachings of John Wesley. And I have totally left the Seventh-day Adventist Church because what they taught did not measure with the scriptures as I read and studied and prayed. One of the teachings of the Seventh-day Sabbath has been of great importance to me. I want to read for you from Exodus, the 20th chapter. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want to be clear with you. The reference here is to the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. It is not to Sunday, the first day of the week. That was a Roman Catholic hoax. And it was also a natural process in the early early Christian church to worship on the day Jesus was resurrected. But nowhere in the scriptures are we commanded to leave the Sabbath and go to Sunday. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, if you go back to the creation story, you find that on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work, and he blessed and hallowed the seventh day. Now, I need to help you with some definitions for you to understand what I'm trying to tell you. And I ask you, please, don't just close your mind and say, I know all of that, Pastor. No, open your mind, open your heart. Try to hear. You'll be surprised where this goes. With the fall of Adam and Eve, they lost the Sabbath. There's no record of Sabbath keeping again until now in the book of Exodus. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's no record of them keeping any Sabbath day. They lost their Sabbath when they turned against the Almighty God in the Garden of Eden and were kicked out of their home. That was only one of the things they lost. Now, God is restoring to the children of Israel as he has called them out and is making them a separate people unto himself. He now, in the commandments, in the Ten Commandments, in the moral code, he sets apart a 24-hour period called Sabbath. This is the beginning of the restoration of the Sabbath rest of God's people. Now, I want you to note that in this 20th chapter of Exodus, they are to keep this day holy. How are they to keep it holy? Are they directed to go to a worship service? No, they are not. How do they keep this Sabbath day holy? 
they stop working. They stop working. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. But he rested. What does the word rest mean? It literally means cessation. There is a deeper meaning, however, in the Hebrew, and that is a place of repose, a place of Sleep, a place of rest. So the Sabbath day is not to be a great day of worship. The Sabbath day is to be a day when all work stops. Now the priest obviously had to continue working because there were sacrifices to be offered. But the people, they stopped all their labor. They rested. Now, if we go to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to go with you there now. The book of Hebrews, in the third and fourth chapter, begin to give us very significant understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just read it, and I'll stop, and we'll talk about it. And if you have questions, you're welcome. If you're on the YouTube, you're welcome to put them in the chat line. And if I don't answer them today, I will answer them before we end this topic. Chapter 3, Hebrews, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Now, I'll tell you the difficulty I had in the Adventist church. They made the Sabbath more important than Jesus. And they had many rules and regulations for how to keep the Sabbath that were not to be found in the scriptures. I want to start this study in Hebrews with a clear understanding that we are to focus our entire attention on the person of Jesus Christ. Please, for me, Jesus is everything. You'll see why I'm saying that as we begin to move deeper into the topic. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, in whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. It was God, it was Jesus, who created the earth and gave us the Sabbath one day a week. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope on which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts 
as you did in the rebellion. I must stop here. Do not harden your heart around the theology you have been taught. Do not harden your heart about what you think is right. Keep your heart open to Jesus and let him show you what he wants of you. The children of Israel kept the Sabbath through the pilgrimage of the wilderness, and then their bodies all dropped, and they died. There was a man gathering sticks to light a fire on the Sabbath, breaking the command not to work. He was going to cook his meal. They stoned him to death. Jesus was serious with the children of Israel about do not do any work on the Sabbath. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and they saw what I did. Do you understand? He's saying, the children of Israel tested me in the wilderness, but I also tested them in the wilderness, and they failed the test. Why? Because they refused to enter into the Sabbath of God. They refused to enter the rest of That is why I was angry, verse 10, with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. In other words, they're never going to enter into the heart of Jesus. I have said on many occasions that the American church is in full apostasy. Why? Because they refuse to enter into the rest of God. They refuse to enter into the rest with Jesus. Instead, they are about all of their activity, all of their behavior, all of their good works, their go, 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 entrepreneurs, building great buildings, piling high the brush, but they don't enter the rest of Jesus. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be rendered stubborn by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As Jesus has just said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that we were not able to enter. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What's he saying? Jesus would not bring them into his rest because they would not believe that he would do what he said he would do. 
They would not believe that he would provide them with water, even though he had done it many times. They would not believe that he could provide them with the necessary food, although he did so on a daily basis. They did not believe that they could enter into the promised land because the giants lived there. They could not believe that they could trust their life in Jesus' hands. They thought they had to provide for themselves. They had to fight for themselves. Remember what happened to the children of Israel who refused to enter the promised land. And when they discovered what the penalty was for their unbelief, they said, oh, we'll go up and take it. No problem. And Moses said, don't do it. You'll be beaten down. And they went charging off. And sure enough, they met an army that destroyed them. And many died. Now, please, I want you to hear clearly what I'm saying today. And I'm going to go much deeper into this tomorrow. There is a place of rest, a place of obedience that Jesus is calling you to enter into. It's not made up of rules and regulations. It's not made up of laws, for righteousness no longer comes by way of the law. Read carefully Romans, the first chapter. There is now another source of righteousness that comes to us and is imparted to us. And that source is Jesus and his blood and what he did for us at Calvary, and what he's now willing to do in us and for us through the Holy Spirit. There is a place of rest from this world and all that is in this world. You may remember, and I'm going to flip back to it very quickly. Jesus In Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew 11. I'll begin with verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The call of Jesus is not to a religious belief. The call of Jesus is to come to him as a person, as the son of the living God, as our savior. It is to come to him. And if you're tired, you're heavy burdened, You've tried your best. You've been unable to do it. You have fallen time after time into your sin. You have screamed self-deprecation at yourself. You have, you have done everything possible and yet you've still failed. You're exhausted. You're burdened. You're weary. He says to you, come to me. He doesn't say, come to the Bible. He doesn't say, come to church. He does not say, say, come to Pilgrim's Progress Radio. He says, come to me, to Jesus personally. Lay out before him your weariness and your burden. And he says, I will give you rest. Now you remember the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We were to work seven days a week, six days a week, and on the seventh day rest, no more work. Jesus here is saying, come to me 
and I will give you rest. Jesus did not say, come to me, and I will give you one day a week of rest. He says, come to me, and I will bring you into rest. I will bring you into cessation of your struggles. And I will give you a place of repose, a place, a bedroom. I will give you the bedroom of God. I will give you a place where you can rest. And then as you rest, I want you, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, in that place of rest, he's going to teach you about himself and what his work is. He says, I'm gentle. I'm humble. He's not going to beat you up. You will find rest for your soul. That is, rest for your personality. Rest for who you are as a person. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to come to me. Personally, come to me. With all of your weariness, with all of your burdens. Some of you still think, oh, I should rest one day a week. That's not what Jesus said. In the new covenant, we enter into Jesus seven days a week. We cease all of our own labor. What did Jesus say? Remember back here in the Beatitudes? Let me turn to it very quickly. You know this passage very well, but you may not have understood it. But let me share it with you. Matthew. I'll begin reading for you in verse in chapter 6. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Well, how do you seek first the kingdom of God? Kingdom means authority. Seek first the authority of Jesus Christ to be exercised over your life. You stop going out to work on your own. You now work yoked with Jesus in the place of rest from your own work. And you also seek his righteousness, his innocence. And all these other things will be given to you as well. You will be provided for as you obey the word of Jesus. You go where he tells you to go and you do what he tells you to do. You will be provided for. 
Now, that may be a shop, it may be a hospital, it may be an office. You go where the Holy Spirit tells you to go. You hear the direction of Jesus, and you don't go to that place to earn money. You go to that place as your place of ministry. You go to that place as a a place of witness and testifying and praising the name of Jesus. For you are under his kingdom authority. That is the place of rest that Jesus wants to bring us to. Now, when we look carefully at this passage in Hebrews 3, there are those with a sinful and unbelieving heart who say, I've got to go do it myself. I'm in charge of me. And so off they go. And they're exhausted and tired, beat up, no place of rest. When you serve money, you must work seven days a week. Even if you keep the Sabbath, your mind will be filled with the plans for the week rather than keeping your eyes on Jesus. Chapter 4, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now please hear me. There is a place of rest that God is calling you to. And it's going to require prayer, meditation, fasting, It's going to require opening your heart to the Lord. It's going to require trusting Jesus with everything in your life. Trusting your wife, your children, your finances. It means turning everything over to him. And please, I'm going to speak of this tomorrow, but I'll introduce it quickly now. In the New Covenant, the Sabbath is at the very heart of the New Covenant. Oh yes, it was in the Old Covenant, in the heart of the Decalogue, but now it's at the heart of the covenant with Jesus. And the covenant is, stop your personal work and enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, where you stop trying to figure everything out, and you stop trying to be what you're all supposed to be, and you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, and you learn from him, and he teaches you by the Spirit who you should be and how you should walk. Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus is planning to come back for you and for me. If we have entered into his rest. Now, before tomorrow, carefully read chapter 4 in Hebrews. And you will find there... The Sabbath rest is referred to as the salvation of your soul. In other words, salvation is spoken of in chapter 4 as your Sabbath rest. As you enter into that rest, you enter into Jesus Christ. 
I would also urge you to read the Gospel of John, chapter 15, where we are commanded to abide or to remain in Jesus Christ. But we'll talk more about that this week. I hope you have heard today several important things. That we are to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, our high priest. And we are invited to enter into his place of ceasing from our own labors. And Jesus will then begin to carry us and provide for us. As we look at the destruction of America, if you are not in this rest, if you are not in this place of abiding in Jesus, you'll go crazy. You'll be angry and bitter, and all will be lost. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I pray this has been a helpful introduction to the Sabbath of God. I'm going to dwell for eternity by God's grace in his Sabbath. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel. I thank you, Tom and Betty, for your wonderful gift. I thank you, Michael, for your gift. I thank you, each one of you, Dirk, all of you who are giving, David, Mike, thank you. Write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Dot com national prayer chapel dot com Lord, as we finish this broadcast today, I lift up my heart to you, and I ask Lord, in your great mercy, Almighty God, in your great mercy, I ask that you would teach us how to walk with you, how to enter into your rest that your Holy Spirit would come in this last day, in this day of destruction of all that we have loved and known of America as we lose our Constitution. Lord, I pray you will come and bring us into your rest. Some today wonder if you will provide for them. Lord, I ask, would you assure them of your place of rest and that they can enter into that, and that you will provide for them. Lord, have your way now. Let your name be glorified and lifted up. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory